0: Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us online at Westonka at Bush Lake. And did you love the rain last night? Wasn't that great? We finally got some moisture. I am one who loves to drive by farm fields and see that everything is growing. So you got to love this time of year. I like walking in my neighborhood and see that flowers are growing. And I love seeing the trees are flourishing. I just love to see the growth. And you know that God purposed the earth And us to grow. And it's God who brings about the elements that brings about the growth that honors God, is beneficial to you and even our neighbors. And therefore, we take a look at James as we continue our study in James that God purposed us to grow and that he takes elements. And today we're going to look at two primary elements that lead to a flourishing and growth doing and listening. Doing and listening is repeated. Doing what the Lord asks. Uh, listening to what the Lord asks and doing what the Lord um, calls us to do. And when we step into that rhythm, God blesses us with growth. And your your faith becomes vital, alive, dynamic. And if we choose not to listen and to not do what he has for us, then it stunts our growth. And we don't sense the presence of the Lord, the dynamic work of the Lord in our lives and our journey. Well, James, the very one who wrote the letter that we're taking a look at over the course of the summer was a brother to Jesus who did not listen to what Jesus said or do what Jesus asked. It's kind of the way of brothers, I guess. They were brothers and he didn't believe that Jesus was either Christ or Lord. He just didn't believe it until Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. In his risen state, he appears to James. That would capture your attention. And all of a sudden, he keenly listens and he enthusiastically does what the Lord asks of him to move in this beautiful realm of growth, and did he grow fast? For those of you who have felt away from the Lord, like you don't know the Bible very well, or you've not really listened much to the Lord, I mean, James is a person who just gives you hope about what accelerated growth God brings once you start to trust in the Lord, because James would become, in relatively short order, the pastor of the first church. You know it as Jerusalem Community Church. You understand. (laughs) The focus of community, and that's what he was leading, Jerusalem Community Church, and God blessed his leadership. One of the marks of that um, fantastic church was um, the fact that they listened to what the Lord had to say, and they did what the Lord asked them to do, and he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and they did that. This church, in the midst of a backdrop that was extraordinary, it was filled with conflict and sadness. The Roman emperor and the empire at that time were coming against Christians. So there was great persecution and people had to flee, but also this church did something spectacular. They actually are known as ascending church because they would take leaders and pastors within that community of Jerusalem Community Church and send them out to other cities and nations. So we know from church history that Peter went on to Rome and we believe that Andrew went to Ethiopia and that Matthew went to Persia or modern day Iran um, or Thomas went to what we believe to be India and brought the gospel there and I could go on and on but they were ascending church. I wanna elevate that before you, because from our very beginning, we chose to be like Jerusalem Community Church. Westwood Community Church has sent people in the way of that first church from the very beginning. Dozens and dozens and dozens of leaders and servants and pastors have gone on to serve the Lord in other cities and nations. And so before I do a deep dive into the passage today, I want us to take a moment, a special moment, to recognize one of our pastors, Zach Bush, and his wife Cassie, who are being sent on today. We're gonna commission them in prayer to go to a new city. It's not Rome. <laughs> it's not in Ethiopia and it's not in Persia, it's in Medina, Minnesota and it's a really exotic place to go. So you got to be excited for them it is Zach has accepted the position to be the senior pastor of Woodridge Church, one of our very sister churches. So I'm gonna invite Zach and Cassie, they're gonna come up and share just a couple words of prayer that they might need in their own journey. We wanna be a church that prays for them. I'm gonna offer a prayer in just a moment to send them off, but also to give you some historical context too because Zach was yet but a wee boy when he came here. He was in college serving as an intern. And to be together for 13 years to see how God has worked in and through your life has been extraordinary. He served in a lot of capacities here. He um, met Cassie, who's been with our church family since you were a little girl, five, six, seven years of age. And your whole family were critical in launching the church as we got sent from Wooddale to come here. They've had three children while they've been here. He served in multiple roles, campus pastor at Bush Lake. Many of you know him from that role as well as campus pastor online and other pastoral roles. He's just done a lot. I can just tell you he is prepared. (laughs) This is a man of God ready for the next chapter of his life. And to be able to go and serve in a dynamic church in Medina with the love of Jesus Christ, God is just gonna bless you richly. But we wanna pray, I'm gonna offer that prayer, but also there might be specific prayers. It's a lot of change you're going through in your life. We announced the news um, just a month ago, I think, something like that, so he's had the opportunity to communicate, it's not new to you. We just wanna do the prayer today um, because it's summertime. Many of you travel, you're going to places, but it's a little odd because he's still with us, he doesn't start until August 1st. So he wants to finish well, he'll be preaching the two last Sundays in July, so he's still with us, but we want to send him off while more people are here before they start traveling with summer plans and all of that, but how can we specifically be in prayer for you, Zach and Cassie? You
1: Thanks, Pastor Joel. Uh, well, first of all, my sincerest expression of gratitude for Westwood Community Church. We are so thankful for each and every one of you here and at all of our campuses. When we look back on our time at Westwood, we look back with just the fondest memories, uh, we love this place, and we will continue to, to pray and cheer on Westwood. And I want to say thank you to Pastor Joel. Whenever conversations began with Woodridge, um, there were three people who I called. The first person was Cassie. I that was a pretty wise idea, right? Very good, Zach. You've grown a lot. You know, I've learned a thing or two <laughs> since I've been here. The second was Paul Johnson, who's the lead pastor at Woodridge. And then the third was you, Pastor Joel. And you set the table so well. You've been a part of the conversation. And you've been such a a great, wise voice uh, for for Cass and I. So thank you for that. And so as we think about this transition, we really have, like any good sermon, three prayer requests. All right? I'll do the first two. The first one is, uh, would you just join us? Not just praying for, but also praying with us. Because these are prayers that we've prayed over the last several months. Will you join us in prayer for our family? That our family will continue to flourish, that our marriage will flourish as we step into this new role, that as we transition, that our kids will flourish as well, and that they'll meet new friends and they'll have lifelong friends from the beginning uh, as we transition up to Woodridge and Medina and Plymouth. Second, would you pray with us for God's favor and blessing upon Woodridge? Uh, Paul Johnson is a legacy leader. He's been there since 1990. Much like Pastor Joel, he planted Woodridge, and so praying for him and his transition, the staff, and the congregation there, that God would just pour out favor and blessing upon Woodridge in this next season and this next chapter of ministry. And the third prayer um, is a prayer for Westwood, and Cass would like to share around that.
2: You guys make this look really easy. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw it back to a sermon series that Joel actually did. Many of you may remember this, but it was from the, the Chaska high school days, on the prayer of Jabez. And I remember committing this to memory as a young girl. Um, And I've been praying this prayer um, over Westwood over the last few weeks. And so I want to share this prayer over you. And in return, I would love, we would love this prayer as well over us and our family. Um, But God, would you bless this church called Westwood in Chanhassen at Bush Lake, at West Tonka and online, would you enlarge their territory? That your name, God, would be known outside of these walls because your name is the only name, the only way, and there are no other options. Would your hand be with, be with them, with all of you, with the staff, and with your children? And Lord, would you keep them from harm? And what's really neat about this prayer is at the end, it closes and it just says, and God granted his request. So I'm trusting that.
0: Yes, and we have seen that. Um, I, you know, appreciate it. And, you know, it's hard. Cassie's grown up here her whole life. So the change is big and momentous on so many fronts. I have this little phrase that grief wraps itself around all change, even good change. Because it's loss. A family member's moving into new places, and yet it's not complete loss because you're close by. And uh, we have a, a beautiful partnership with Woodridge. It's a growing partnership. And Pastor Paul Johnson's a dear friend of mine. He says, Joel, you can have Zach come back and preach whenever you want next year so. I'm just making plans, they may not even know he's the new senior pastor there, we'll see what happens, but no, we we will respect your transition for sure, but we'll welcome your voice back when you do come. So we want to offer a prayer of commissioning and send them out with the goodness of God's favor. It's not uncommon for churches throughout the centuries to do that by coming and laying hands on the one being sent out, I'm sure they did that in Jerusalem, there's too many of you, so could I ask at West Tonka and Bush Lake, and even if you're at home online, would you just extend hand as symbolic of faith and trust for God's favor and blessing and receive this prayer. So Father, thank you for Zach, for Cassie, their life, their journey. Thank you for their faith that said yes to follow you early in their journey. Thank you for bringing them together as husband and wife. Thank you for little Craig, for Zoe, for Kason, the beautiful kids that have been born while we've been in this community of faith, that we've come to love this family greatly. And Father, we thank you for the gifts that you have given, so clear, so pronounced, in leadership, and for both of them, how they lead. It comes from heaven to earth, and Zach's teaching, just prosper that teaching in his new setting. Grow him, continue to grow him in that gift of bringing the word of God. Thank you for the spiritual gifts that are deployed through their willing and available um, presence in your presence. And Lord, we pray for favor on Woodridge, that they would be ready for Zach and Cassie and the family to come and that the church would flourish. We pray for the community to see the light of Christ as Zach preaches and that the invitation would go for those outside of the walls of Woodridge as well. We pray for the change that both Zach and Cassie and the kids are going through. They'll need friends and may they find friends like they've had here and may the kids find some of the best friends of their life. Would you bring that kind of favor to the blessing? of their journey forward. And thank you, God, that we get to serve your kingdom in the here and the now, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ today and always. So shower your favor, enlarge their territory, so that your name and your name alone would be exalted from here to heaven to come. We give praise in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you say thank you for Zach and Cassie? Love you guys. Be well in the journey, we'll be in touch. Okay, very good. Thanks, friends. Hey, if you uh, would be inclined, take out your Bible. Let's jump into the passage. I'm gonna read the last part of James 9. I'm gonna pull out um, a particular verse for focus this morning, but I want you to hear the whole context. We're looking at James 1, verse 19. And by the way, the text really is speaking, as James is speaking to us, Christians of every generation, to the credibility of Christianity then in that tumultuous time, but in the generations to follow. And that part of our credibility is found in the conversations we have with each other. Part of our credibility to an unbelieving world that the evidence that God is alive, that Jesus Christ was sent is not dead but is alive, is the credibility not just in conversation but in concern. What do we concern ourselves with in the life that we live in the here and now? And then credibility is accelerated through um, the conduct, how we choose to behave with what we know to be true about Jesus Christ. You hear all of that in this little section beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, like the focus, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So there we find the credibility of our conversation. It really matters to an unbelieving world. And then there's the credibility of our concern, picking it up at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and often looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. What are we concerning ourselves with? There's a credibility force. And then the final expression is the credibility of our conduct. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans, and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so you find James is talking about this rhythm of listening and doing and how it informs the credibility of our witness in the world. He's talking about when you listen to the Lord's voice and do it, there is blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life. But if you choose not to listen and do what he says, there is a danger that stunts your very growth and God has purposed us to grow. He's purposed the earth to grow. He's purposed us to grow so that our faith is dynamic and alive in every possible way. So what I'd like to do is just take one portion for the time that we have and just go a deeper dive into it. And it's a, it's a verse that has three imperatives in it. It's James 1:19 and 20. And I'm gonna elevate one word in the verse and that is the word anger. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Take note of this. I love the emphasis. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce, it doesn't grow us up in the way of the Lord. It does not produce the righteousness that God desires in us. He's purposed us to grow, so are we growing or are we not? And if not, why not? Is it possible that anger is part of the reason that we have stunted faith or not a live kind of faith? So we find these imperatives here. You'll find that there is one quick and two slows. And yet it's interesting. We tend through our natural inclination to make that an inverse. So we find one slow and we make it two quicks. And let's go back through it. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But our natural inclination is to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. And James knows that because they were living in a time there was a lot of agitation. We're living in a time there's a lot of agitation. And he reminds us to center on these given practices. Be quick to listen to what are we listening for. God's voice is revealed and God's word be in the word of God. And be slow to speak about what? Your opinions, your convictions, your ideas. I have a little axiom related to that. Just because you have an opinion does not mean you need to share it. That would be a great lesson for everybody to learn in these days, right? (laughs) Um, And then be um, slow to anger, to to anger to express and to explode with this anger because anger is dangerous. Most anger is dangerous. And that's where I wanna give my energy to today. I have a dear friend, pastor's of dynamic, growing, influential church in America. It's been a privilege to walk alongside of him for decades now. And he did something recently, kind of took my breath away, took the congregation's breath away as well. He made a confession to his church family. And that's a bold and courageous thing to Thing to do. And what he confessed was this that I am angry a lot. And you don't recognize it in me because I mask it all the time. And I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of the negative impact it has on my life, my leadership, on my relationships, my most important relationships. And anger is a challenge to it. So I did something about it. So he went through some extensive counseling. Months to get a hold of his anger. And wow, the blessings that came. And the counselor said to him, You really need to stand before your congregation and confess this before the church family. And I go, Come on. Why, why do pastors always have to lead the way of these things? You know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I think we should have a service where everybody stands up and confesses one sin in your life all at the same time. Maybe we'd be just set free for a whole new chapter of ministry because it sets us free, and it did him. He confessed it, but they had also talked about the reality that um, the counselor and he both believing that he wasn't alone. There are many people in that congregation and this who struggle with anger management. You got a lot of it, you mask it, at least with people that see you in public, but the people who know you best know the anger. And I think my friend would say, do something about it. And that's what James is calling us to do, to do something about it. That James' message really is most anger is dangerous. And James is calling us to be flourishing Christians, that we would grow up to be like Christ, that we would mature in our faith and our tests and our trials. They feed that growth that God has for us, what he has in mind. And so I'm glad that we have these words from, from, uh, from James that reminds us of anger. And if you take that word anger and you put a big D in front of that word, that spells danger. Thank you, I just got a seven-year-old who did that for me. (laughs) Some of you were slow to the game, but I got a seven-year-old on top of that spelling. I go, I'm impressed. It's it's danger, anger is danger. So we wanna be mindful of what James is speaking because it's a danger to our own spiritual growth. It stunts our own spiritual growth. And so most anger is dangerous. So I need to put a qualifier in here right away because most anger is dangerous, but not all anger is dangerous. Nor is all anger sin. So we just need to level the playing field around that. We know that Jesus was at times angry on that Sabbath day when he healed that person of their disease and the spiritual leaders got all up in arms are standing around, cannot believe he healed somebody on the Sabbath. The law says you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. That's not a work you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus, the text says in Mark's, looked at them with anger, deeply Distressed by their stubborn hearts, that they had elevated the law of getting the law right, but missing the love of God that heals people whenever God wants to heal people. And so Jesus got angry about that and other things. We also know that God gets angry. This is from Psalm 7:11. It says, "God is angry every day. Whoa. But let's not think of anger in the filter that is our human inclination because he delineates it differently, that anger for our God is slow. It's measured. It's restorative. But our anger tends to be quick and fast. It tends to be impulsive. It tends to be destructive, not restorative in our life and our journey. And so we have this picture of the Lord, Jesus getting angry and God getting angry. In Proverbs 6, 6 through 19, this verse always captivated me when I was first growing in faith. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And I remember mean, reading that for the first time thinking, wow, I mean, what are those six things? Because I don't want to be guilty of those six things. What is the seventh thing? And the list is really quite interesting. It says, this is what he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that take innocent lives, a heart that kind of conceives of evil to do, feet that run after evil, false witness that speaks lies, and the last one really captured me because I wouldn't expect it in that list, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That's what he detests, his anger about that. Going back to the credible evidence um, of Christianity that God indeed is alive, that he reveals Jesus to us. He is not dead. He is alive and active in our own personal journey, the credible credibility witness, uh, comes from our Lord. Before he is crucified, his last prayer is a prayer for unity. So this is a big thing for him, that he wants us to keep it together because he knows the world and its ways pull us apart and away from him rather than to him. And so Jesus got angry, God got angry, and people get angry. You get angry. There may be one person, out of all of our different sites and gatherings, just one person who woke up this morning angry. Is that you? And you're thinking right now, Joel, do you have to do this message today? It's just a little too much. But you know the truth. It's not just one. There are dozens, if not hundreds, who are dealing with real anger in your life and you're tired of it. And you know the impact that it has in your own journey. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let it lead to sin. So it validates that we're going to feel angry, but do not let it lead to sin it's just acknowledging that if somebody hurts you if somebody gossips about you if somebody in the marketplace takes an idea you have and gets credit for it and leaves you behind and you can go on and on when you're really hurt that way you're going to get angry so the scriptures validate there's a place for angry do not let it lead to sin what is sin literally sin means to miss the mark of God his presence and his ways and so, when I go toward a place of sin, I'm moving away from God and His ways to myself, the feelings that I have, which dominate my life more than God and God's presence versus coming to him to help us deal with that reality. And his righteousness then gets magnified when we come to him. So anger has, in fact, a good place to live in our life at times. It creates an understanding of proper morality and how we live. I know we have a ministry in Malawi that's almost 20 years of age now. It's 20 years old. And it was raised for us to consider partnering with World Relief to go to Malawi during the AIDS crisis. Do you guys remember the AIDS crisis and how that dominated for almost a decade? the news lines and the malnourishment of kids in this area. And we saw, I did a a trip along with a few others from Westwood and 20 years later, we're still there. But I'm gonna tell you that first trip really stood out because to see a child malnourished and to hold that little one, to see a child um, with a disease ravaging his body and to hold that little child I'm telling you, there's an anger that went deep to say, this ought not be. We must do something about it. And isn't that the truth? Anger sometimes brings a a proper response and a result that honors the righteousness of God and fairness in the world in which we live. So, there is anger that comes into the playing field. But, by and large, from Genesis to Revelation, when it comes to the subject of anger, and there's hundreds of verses related to it, um, the, the, the reality is that God is suspicious of our capacity to have um, good anger. Good anger. It, it's really hard for us because our natural inclination doesn't go that way. I mean, just out of curiosity, When you think about how we actually move in this way, we need the help of God, because quite honestly, um, when Jesus says, love your enemies, how many of you, just out of curiosity, find that a natural inclination to love your enemies? Just raise your hands. Yeah, I don't see any, all right. Or he says, pray for those who persecute you. How many with your natural inclination go, yeah, I'm gonna pray for that person who's just thrown me under the bus. You're not going to raise your hand because our natural inclination is of the flesh. But there's a righteousness of Jesus within us that allows us to be and love like him. And it is so radical. It is so beautiful. People capture attention, uh, have their attention captured and say, I want that in my given life. So overall, God is suspicious. And we find that in Colossians where it says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips or you continue into Ephesians get um, rid of all bitterness and that word is so strong get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice it's going to stunt your growth it's going to keep you from knowing the righteousness of God or Galatians the acts of the flesh are obvious hatred discord jealousy fits of rage and anger and so God knows our inclination so James follows the heart of God, and gives us this deep and personal warning. And I'm so glad that he does, because most anger is dangerous. So how my head works, I do a little bit of modern-day research on the subject of anger post-COVID, and oh, did I find some fascinating studies. Um, One of the most interesting to me was IBM, in conjunction with a few other partners, did this extensive study across America, and one of their lead questions is, are you more ticked off today than you were pre-COVID? How you doing with that? It's not hard to answer that one, right? Because you see it everywhere. But 84% of people say, I am more ticked off today than pre-COVID. And it's hard to shake it. I'm not surprised by that at all. I also went on to say that 9 out of 10 um, of those who took the survey expressed their anger on social media, not with people. What does that do? It accelerates the anger even more. And it threatens the unity and the righteousness of God who is in us. Other interesting facts, I just know you're really interested in this research. Um, Men um, tend to blow off or um, lose their temper on average six times each week and women three times each week. And women tend to lose their temper with people and men with things. Isn't that interesting? I don't know how true that is. I'm sure it's an exception to this congregation. I'd love to survey you, but as it, the other thing it said is that, um, that anger is more intense and frequently expressed to those we love rather than to strangers, and we know that to be true. You have domestic abuse and all these things that flow out of it. So I just thought, okay, if that's the research, let's just do a little bit of AI because AI is in the news every hour. Can you watch anything? Can you read anything where AI doesn't pop up? It's, it's head AI, artificial intelligence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to Jane's. I'm talking about AI, anger inventory. So get in the mode, okay? You're gonna do a little personal inventory. Don't be offended. Just listen to my pastor friend who says, Acknowledge the reality of it and what it is and then do something about it. So I've chosen four words that I think express by and large how people generally express anger. I will have you notice that the word is an exaggeration word. So it's an extreme word. But I look at it this way. Jesus taught with exaggeration. It's okay if I do on occasion and I let you know. But there's a continuum that leads to that exaggerated word the four you ready for this little inventory you may want to put your head down write it I don't know the maniac is the first and that is when you deal with anger you feel it take over you the cork comes off you blow off steam you let it go and the lower form of that particular expression is you just are loud you're forceful you make it known I'm not happy and those around you say this is not the day to ask for a favor because that anger is real. But it accelerates, and it can be yelling and cursing, it can be throwing things, and it also can move into the place of physical harm. And that happens all too often. That's the maniac. But the second is the mute. This is the silent type. The cork stays in the bottle, and it ferments inside. And so you press down the conflict. Is that you? Is the anger just get pressed down? Or does it blow up and out? And when you swallow anger as the mute, your stomach keeps record. Physically or emotionally, it starts to take its toll. The third is simply the martyr. The martyr is the person, woe is me, they are the pro at the pity party. Somehow feeling like they're responsible for everything and they make it known, woe is me, and they have this way of making everybody else around them feel miserable as well is that how you deal with it you just take it upon yourself and you find yourself in a place that you are self-punishing you become passive and woe is me that might be you and then the fourth one is the manipulator and the manipulator expression gets defined for us by by I just lost his name there for a moment it'll look get it oh yeah Lee Iacocca been a long morning Lee Iacocca, if you're over 50, you don't even know who Lee Iacocca is maybe, but if you're under 50, you know and remember him because he was the head of Ford, the auto plant, and he was fired, and he was really angry about it. And he coined that phrase, don't get mad, get? You know Lee Iacocca. That's him, he put it there, that there's a retaliation that happens and you seek to throw people in that given direction but this is not the way that God would have us be. These different expressions, that we are called to define reality, so take that as an exercise, define reality, and then say, what do I do about that? How do I move in that direction? Can I just quickly just show why it's so dangerous when anger takes hold and and becomes rooted in your life? Just quickly, these four things stand out to me in the biblical rhythm of these things, and that is the first is that it makes much of self and little of God. Most anger does that. That. Most anger just makes much of self and little of God. That is, it, it, it makes much of me, myself, and I and little of God, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when that happens, I'm not going to grow close to God. I'm going to be moving the other direction. Or secondly, we find that most anger invites the devil's influence more than God's. And you go, well, who's influencing your life? God and his voice and his way? Or you, your voice and your way? We read these words in Ephesians 4, In your anger, do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold. That is, Don't give the devil a foothold to to be a presence in your life where you just say, come into my home, stay a while, have a cup of tea, and then anger just resides in your home with you. Gets put into the closet in the shelf until it comes out and then in the closet of your entryway and then all of a sudden anger is everywhere and it's really vulnerable. We give the devil a foothold in the journey which kind of feeds the third one and that is most anger gets carried around like a big backpack with a lot of rocks on it and it holds us down, and this is what happens when we start carrying it around. We harbor frustration. we um, respond emotionally it 's hard to reason out because our reality gets skewed along the way we ha- We hold grudges against people we we, we find Forgiving them, unforgiveness becomes part of our way of living. That's letting the devil's way be a foothold in your home, in the home of your life, and it keeps you from growing in the way the Lord has for you. And then there's one more, and that is most anger expresses unbelief. God, I just don't trust you. I am so angry right now, I'm gonna take over and do what I wanna do because I just had enough and I don't see you stepping in to help me, so I'm gonna take over. It impacts, your, it impacts your belief and your trust in God for all things forward. So what does James do for us? He outlines a couple things that are really simple. First of all, he says, take a deep breath and that anger comes in and he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you have children, teach them that rhythm early. There's a lot of triggers in life. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, uh, and, and slow to anger. So he's giving us a compass on how we manage it. That's helpful. Um, secondly, you could do what my friend did. That is to get rid of Anger, um, or and to to get that man managed that anger managed in the proper way, you've got to get rid of it. And the word "get rid of" is really powerful. I put it again in Colossians three eight. But now you must also rid yourselves. It's not a passive word. It's not a casual. You should get rid of that. It, it's a very physical word. It, it's an expressive word. It's to get rid of it. To throw it away. To to put it out of your life completely. It says. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And he goes on and on with this list. So um, you got to get rid of it. Carrie and I have a life coach who gave us some counsel on this some time ago. And it's so helpful when she used this word, this phrase, this get rid of it. When you have the triggers coming up inside of you, then get rid of it. Throw it off as quickly as you can because it will want to stay present with you and hover and control your life, which will pull you away and stunt your growth rather than toward and accelerate your growth of faith in God. And then the third thing I just share with you is to take God's word and just to memorize it by creating a new habit. Habits are created, it says 21 days to take a new habit. So if you took this verse and just memorized it and for 21 days just repeated it, teach it to your children for 21 days, the the righteousness of Christ who is in you will be made manifest and you'll start to manage your anger with the power of Christ. These things are helpful to us. So could we close our service together by reciting James 1, 19 through 20 and unite your voice with me. Put it up on the screen and let's say it slowly (laughs) and let it soak in. Join me. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So, at Bush Lake and Westonka, and online, and here gathered, would you open your hands and receive this prayer? God, thank you for wisdom that comes from your word. And we just confess to you. Um, we get triggered, and we have a lot of anger, and we mask a lot of our anger, and we're tired of it. And we know it has negative impact on um, how we live our lives, lead our lives, lead our companies, on our relationships that are most important. We just need help, and you provide it through Jesus Christ who is in us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, might we be your children that seek to live in the righteousness of Christ that is already in us, we just have to appropriate it. Grant us that gift of self-control, we ask. Might this day you speak to one, two, ten, twenty, 10, 20, 100 who are dealing with anger and are tired of it and need to get rid of it. Might this day be the beginning of that journey where they can throw it off in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen and amen.